This is Dangerous Vision, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. There's no real right way to do blind. You know, you will need to find what works for you. I picked up an old Apple IIe system. Chris Meredith is a financial test engineer and an accessibility guru. First thing I did was start learning basic programming. Uh, I liken it to OnStar for the blind. He also has heard it all when it comes to being blind. I've worked with 50 different blind people. I know how blindness works. No, you don't. We'd be like wandering around the room trying to shake each other's hands and failing. Hi, today on the Dangerous Vision podcast, we have Chris Meredith. Uh, Chris, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Dangerous Vision. Hey, thanks for having me. The, uh, so uh, you're involved in the financial world, uh, you're involved in the world of coding, um, and you're doing all this uh, with vision impairment. Why don't we start off, tell us, tell us about what you see so people can uh, you know, sort of uh, put themselves in your shoes as we, as we talk about what you do and how you do it. Oh, hey, let's, uh, that's fine. I'll go with the, uh, let's start off with the simple questions. I see absolutely nothing. Ah, well, that is simple. And, <laughs> and have that always been the case, or did you lose it at some point? Uh, from square one. From square one. Okay. All right. Very good. So the um, so are there uh, are there dumb annoying questions that people ask you about that, like about colors and things like that? Like, do they say like, do you see colors in your head and things like that? Uh, if I had a dollar for every time uh, I had to sort of seen the question posed as to whether or not blind people dream, mm-hmm. uh, I think one one I get not infrequently is so if you took a hallucinogen, what would you see? Uh-huh. My stock answer to that is that I am not allowed to answer that question. Otherwise, I may retroactively fail the background check that I passed in order to work at Barclays. <laughs> the, uh, exactly. I, 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 I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. The, yeah, pretty um, much. So, uh, so do, do blind people dream, Chris? <laughs> yes. Once I actually had the dream where I had the blood on my hands of someone that asked me if blind people dreamed, and then I woke up and I found that it was only a dream, which is good because I hate surcharges from my. That, that's uh, from that's my why that's why we family. like to that's why we like to do this podcast remotely because that way you know if you're in the room <laughs> with me, I, I would be afraid to ask you such uh, uh, such tough questions. Um, oh, there's an Acela. I can take the Acela. <laughs> Um, the uh, you'll never find me. Um, <laughs> it's uh, we, we, we'd be like wandering around the room trying to shake each other's hands and failing. Um, the, entirely uh, possible. So, um, so yeah. So are there uh, so are there questions people ask you about being totally blind that uh, that you don't find annoying? Um, not a lot. No. Um, <laughs> which is actually to say, I don't get a lot of questions. Uh, right. Certainly not from colleagues or coworkers. They tend to sort of learn organically how mm-hmm. things work. Although I am going to have to bring a couple of our testers up to speed on accessibility training because I think, or on accessibility testing, because I think uh, we have some uh, that we're supposed to be doing for our internal uh, applications, and that actually ends up being slightly above my pay grade. Mm-hmm. And our managing director. Um, basically said they didn't hire me to do accessibility testing, which is is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just means that I'm going to have to take a couple of days and bring some folks up to speed with uh, probably we're testing on NVDA because it's cheap um, and also easy to get licensed. 
Yeah. So, yeah, that to say, no, not a lot of annoying questions, not a lot of questions, at least uh, from uh, my uh, colleagues, coworkers, friends, and associates. I, I, uh, I get a lot of questions. I, I mean, I, I, I have some, I say I've written out as pigmentosis, so it just kind of uh-huh. gets worse every year. So people do ask me uh, what I can see, which is a little hard to describe. I don't find it annoying because they're just trying to be helpful, and so they're trying to figure out, like, am I oh, going yeah. to see that flight of steps before I plummet down it, you know, in, in, in which case they'll dive in front of me. Uh, and uh, if, but, I mean, uh, I mean uh, in which case they won't dive in front of me because I'm going to see it myself, so that, you know, they want to mm-hmm. get a sense. So, you know, I, I try to cut people a break because I understand it's difficult for them to imagine, and 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 especially since I do find it a little hard to describe sometimes uh, what I'm seeing. I I, I have the advantage of uh, I, I never had perfect eyesight, but I had okay eyesight when I was a kid, just sort of normal nearsighted, and so I should uh, have some memory of what normal people see. But to be honest, as the years go by, it gets harder to remember exactly how how well other people can see stuff. So I can't describe very well what I'm missing. Right. And I mean, I, I like to sort of break what you might call annoying questions down into two groups. There is annoying in the same way that it's got to be annoying for the flight attendants to keep saying to everyone, you know, have a nice day, have a nice day, thank you for flying Delta, have a nice day, mm-hmm. where you're saying the same thing over and over and over again, but it's right. the first time the person's hearing it. Uh, these are uh, you know, questions that fall into that category are, you know, do you need help? Because by five o'clock, of an afternoon, I've gotten that question twelve times that day. Do I need to answer it again? Right. Um, but you know, the intent is, is, and then there's the annoying, you know, so how did you go blind? Why don't you have a dog? Mm-hmm. Uh, those types of questions, which just there is no reason anyone needs to ask me that question right off the bat. Uh, not, not you know, uh, on my planet, we usually start our interactions with "How you doing, fella?" <laughs> Something along those lines. So I, I I agree that somebody who uh, uh, just met you under normal conditions doesn't need to ask you why you don't have a dog. But here on the Dangerous Vision podcast, it's a completely appropriate question to ask why you don't have a dog. I don't have a dog oh, either, certainly. and I have good reasons not to. But your reasons may be totally different. So hit me. Oh uh, sure. One, I find that there is no real advantage. I've traveled on three continents with a cane. It's no big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other. I have a son with some very involved autism, and it uh, took us 10 years to get him uh, toilet trained. And uh-huh. I feel like I've done my share of cleaning up. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I do tell people, you know, 20 years ago, uh, actually, 23 years ago, there was an instance where I had accepted help that I didn't need. And it, uh, you know, as a direct result of that, uh, I was uh, hit with a Ford probe in exactly the right place for you to be able to make all the probe jokes you could ever possibly think of. <laughs> and, you know, next thing you know, I'm on the ground picking myself up and everyone is gathered around me, prepared to escort me to the one place that they knew I could get the medical attention I needed, the computer science building. <laughs> um, someday I want to make sense of how their thought process worked. Mm. But, you know, coming out of that, where I you know, didn't have a lot of confidence and was locking up at street crossings, I was all for uh, the notion of getting a dog, but I mean, you know, 20 years down the line, um, it doesn't really dovetail with what my needs are. I mean, five years from now, I may have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I don't know. But, uh, a lot of it is, you know, no real advantages. I just don't feel that I would gain anything to offset the fact that I would have to do, uh, have to deal with a, a lot of access refusals. 
yeah. that sort of thing. And you know, people make the argument, well, the dog will be an icebreaker. More people will talk to you. And frankly, if you need the presence of a dog in order to initiate a conversation with me, chances are we don't have time to reach a point where you know we will have common ground. Just if if you are that uncomfortable with me, mm-hmm. let's not waste either of our time. Yeah. I uh, run a team of what they call quality assurance engineers. It's our job to write tests to make sure that the software that we're releasing to our clients are, is uh, bug-free. Mm-hmm. And our clients are the wholesale lending department at uh, Barclays Capital. And they are the ones where when a company wants to borrow $6 billion to buy another company or the city of New York or what have you, um, they will go to us and we will arrange a loan with us and a bunch of other banks and they'll get a mm-hmm. bunch of money that they'll have to pay off in five years. Mm-hmm. So our department handles that. Uh, they have some internal applications and it's my job to uh, write some tests for those, write some tools for folks to use while they're doing the testing and manage a group of other testers, uh, most of which are in our other office in uh, in New Jersey and a couple of whom are in London and over in India. So what, uh, what, what software uh, package or language are you coding in? Uh, right now I'm coding in TypeScript using Visual Studio Code for my integrated development environment. Um, coding's all done on Windows. Software that we write is running on Windows or Linux. And so um, I did a lot of coding early in my career as a professor, but most of the time, when you're, when you're a finance professor, obviously you do a fair amount of teaching, but most of the rest of your time is spent uh, writing computer code to analyze you know, data on the stock market or other financial assets. So you know, we might try to identify a pattern. You come up with a, a theory uh, on, say, one kind of stock that might outperform others, a mistake the market might make that you could uh, uh, benefit from if you traded on it, and now you've got to test it. You've got you know 100 years of stock market data, thousands of stocks every year, daily data, monthly data, etc. And you you have to you know code up all these analytics. Um, as I've gotten blinder, I have found myself coding much much less. Uh, I would say it's also the case that you know I've gotten older and my brain is rotting, so I can't say for sure that it's the blindness that's made uh, coding seem uh, more challenging. But I feel like it is a factor, and in particular, uh, debugging, which sounds like it's a big part of what you do, I find very challenging. I was coding in MATLAB, and you know I would write a line, and then and then the code breaks, and you get an error message, but it's hard for me to see it. And it's hard for me, but even if I could see the error message, like to figure out where I put, you know, uh, one too many parentheses or something, see, is is felt very visual to me. And so I'd be really eager to hear your thoughts on why um, coding and debugging uh, aren't things that need a lot of um, uh, of uh, a vision, because uh, maybe it'll take my excuse away and get me uh, back on the horse. Um, well. Why they aren't very visual? This is one of those questions. It's like you know. I understand because you haven't done it the other way. But try, yeah. try this. Try this. What 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 are you using to interact with the code? In other words, how how are you oh, seeing using, all the characters? Uh, I'm using Jaws. I'm using a or occasionally NVDA, depending on the application. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm using a Braille display uh, from time to time. Although right now it needs to be sent to the Braille display hospital because it's, uh, the one thing it's not doing is displaying. Okay. Um, <laughs> and some of it is just, you know, I have the speech cranked up to about 600 words a minute. So if mm-hmm. it's, if I'm, you know, processing the information, 
slower than my sighted counterparts. I'm taking it in faster than they do, so mm-hmm. it kind of offsets the the speed. But I mean, you know, you can set screen readers to at least you can. Well, no, you can do it with NVDA too. Uh, give you auditory feedback how far your code's indented. Uh, again, with the Braille display, you can count the parentheses or you can you mm. know, adjust your punctuation settings. That's true. The Braille uh, thing is interesting. I, I, I don't I don't use Braille because I, I could read until my uh, until my late twenties and so um, and now it's way too late in life for me to go pick up Braille. But I but that is a really good point. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. So that's uh, that's an interesting uh, interesting element. Yeah. Hey now if it would not be too late in life for me to decide to learn Japanese and pick up katakana, I do not understand why <laughs> it would be too late in life for you to pick up Braille. I've just because you know I'm 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 pathetic. I, I, I grant that in theory a person could learn Braille. Through. By the way, that you really raised the bar on me with the six hundred words. Yeah, I was reading at three forty for years, and then one of my students, who's who's uh, perfectly sighted, but he discovered uh, well, Voice Dream Reader, which uh, which uh, you know is the the software I use for reading books, uh, and he started using it for reading you know his course materials and stuff. And he told me he was up over four hundred. So then I had to push myself. I got to four twenty. But now that you're telling me six hundred, now I now I gotta I, I guess I gotta try to make another leap. So maybe I'll. I'll put my energy into into getting up closer to 600 words per minute rather than reading rather than learning braille. Oh, whatever is the quickest path to the uh, to the sort of desired outcome, I suppose. I mean, I, yeah. I kind of think that it's well. I, I, th- I think that literacy is good. You know, whether that's done through through uh, braille. Uh, you know, I, I take issue with folks deciding that they're. Mostly blind children don't need to learn Braille either because, quote, Braille is just outmoded, which, you know, it's not. It's it's a writing system, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the only one of its kind that serves that population that is, has gained any traction. Um, yeah. And I think when your site goes down beyond a certain point, it's certainly more efficient, again, in your formative years, to uh, yeah. um, use Braille. Um, but yeah, I think you know, literacy is is sort of the key because if you don't have any any means to do that, especially when you're learning, you're you're well, you're effectively illiterate, and there's a reason. That yeah, it's, it's fascinating, time. right? I mean, that's right. You can't you can't read, and then you won't. It, it's going to be hard to ever learn to spell. Uh, I, I think it's a fascinating question. Presumably, we will raise uh, a bunch of children in this generation, some of whom who go with just the auditory impact in, input and don't learn Braille, and some of whom do. And it will be very interesting to see because, I mean, look, it could be that reading uh, plays some important role in brain development, you know, in, in some areas of the brain or what have you, and uh, we just don't really know. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an experiment to run at this point, uh, which obviously... Um, the, the children involved in the experiment on either side aren't uh, really volunteering for the experiment. So if it turns out that one way is a lot better, then uh, it's a shame for, for the others. But there's no way to find out, I guess, other than to, to go through it. I expect there's an ethics problem with deciding that, okay, you're going to be in the control group that does not learn to read. Um, well, that's right. I, I mean, it, that, but we could say the same. I, I agree that there's a real ethics issue here. Mm-hmm. But all I'm saying is, in terms of who's the control group, oh yeah, uh, and, and and who's not. You know, I, I'm just saying, I, I like, be yeah, there are kids. There are kids who grow up learning, you know, uh, you know, Russian as well as English, and there are kids who aren't. You know, my kids didn't learn any Russian, so you know, have I? You know, is there did, was I unethical to not teach? Them uh, yeah, Russian, no, you know, I think the ethics issue would be designing an experiment like that. But I mean, to take to oh, take yeah, data with we'll like our existing. I don't think We'll do that. I just mean we're ex- 
I just mean we're accidentally running mm-hmm. an experiment because different parents are making different choices, yeah. which of course yeah. is not a perfectly controlled experiment, but still I think we, we might have some interesting findings. Yeah, I mean you can you can I, I would be interested to see in twenty or thirty years what the well, as you say, what the results are of that. I mean, when it comes time for folks to turn in their resumes uh, and try and seek employment. Right. How much of an advantage I mean I, I think I saw some statistical data that correlated braille literacy with uh, with employment success, but you know, one, I don't remember where I saw that data, and two, you know, correlation does not equal causation. So Yeah. So how do you so how do you get into um, how do you get into coding? Was that something that just interested you from from early on, or is that something you chose because you were looking for a job and you felt it was a good career path? Well, when I was three years old, I, I went into what I think might have been a Kmart, and I noticed a computer playing uh, box invention in A minor, and I felt really mm-hmm. bad for my. Uh, uh, you know, I, in retrospect, I, I felt really bad for my mother because I really wanted the computer, and she was mm-hmm. left with the. Um, unenviable task of explaining to me that, oh, no, there would be uh, no way that I could use a computer because they needed uh, screens. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, four years later, I discovered that, no, that's not actually the case. Uh, and mm-hmm. three years after that, I picked up an old Apple IIe system while I was attending school in Canada. And that came with a uh, speech synthesizer. And the first thing I did was start learning basic programming. So it's something I've been into since I was 10, and finance has been something I was, was into since I was uh, not uh, much older than that, strangely. Mm-hmm. And then, and so where did you go to college? Um, well, I started out at Middle Tennessee State. Um, mm-hmm. That ended up not working out as well as I might have hoped because they really did not have the means to accommodate a student that was wanting to go into the higher uh maths and sciences. Um, mm-hmm. So I ended up moving to Buffalo via Toronto, which was not quite mm-hmm. the route I was planning and involved someone mm-hmm. uh, and, and involved someone named Leah, um, who I have been uh, married to for nearly uh, a little over 18 years. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I got a bit redirected there. I actually have not graduated. Microsoft made me an offer I couldn't refuse before I was able to finish my degree. I had uh-huh. done some freelance work in actually accessibility consulting uh, with some Fortune 500 companies. The workflow was usually they would hire a blind employee. They would find that the blind employee uh, could not use, it was usually a call center software, and they would bring me in at uh, whatever rate we determined was reasonable. I would uh, fix their immediate problem. Uh, I would wrestle with them for uh, 30 less than or equal to N, less than or equal to 60 days to get payment, and (laughs) the cycle would repeat itself. And what I found was that eventually uh, the freelance work was not a reliable source of income, but the rent was a reliable source of expense. Mm -hmm. So I ended up taking my accessibility training through, or my training in uh, JAWS scripting, and finding out quite by accident that it could be leveraged into automated testing uh, at Microsoft. So I did a bunch of contracts and one full-time stint uh, there mm-hmm. in Seattle. Uh, but that all that to say, I have not actually graduated um, as yet. It's one of those things that I should probably fix at some point, but so far <laughs> has not been a hindrance to me. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's not clear that uh, I guess um, neither Gates nor Zuckerberg has graduated yet, and uh, well, that's, that's it. They're doing all right. This is a final boarding call for the Air Lingus flight. I, I will just interject my favorite air travel story. National Airport, Rome of Castle Park. I was living in Portland. Uh, most of my contract work was in Seattle. Um, I had agreed, possibly because I have latent masochistic tendencies that heretofore have not been diagnosed, I had agreed to take a day in the middle of one of my contracts in Seattle to fly to Austin to do a sales presentation. So I get on the plane from Seattle, and I have deliberately not let the airlines know uh, that I'm blind, because if I do that, they will Mm -hmm. go immediately to their um, training manuals, which, and, you know, I understand why they do this. They want to, you know, as I, as I explained it to people, they want to make sure that your blind 85-year-old Aunt Tilly can fly independently to the clinic where she's going to get eye surgery so that she'll be able to see again and know that she will be well taken care of. So, I mean, I, I appreciate why the regulations are there, but there needs to be an override switch. Unfortunately, there isn't. So, you know, and I don't tell them, well, you know, I'm blind but ignore that what are the big things they do when when you when you oh. give them the uh the heads up well in this case what happened uh <laughs> we touched down in in vegas where i was doing my transfer and they had let me know that they had let the ground crew know uh that they had a visually impaired person on board so right away i knew that we were about to have a tragedy um i get off and they show up with the wheelchair because as we all know uh, the leg bone is in fact connected to the eye bone. Um, so now it's about one o'clock in the morning. I am not really super happy to be doing you know, the sales gig along with the contract gig uh, for the accessibility consulting, but you know, money is money. Uh, so I start sprinting towards the gate to my Austin flight. And this woman is dragging the wheelchair uh, behind her and very sternly tells me, well, the last blind person I helped needed the wheelchair. I think you need to take the wheelchair. So I just stopped in the middle of the airport, and I pulled out my cell phone, and I said, ma'am, uh, I don't mean to pry into your personal life, but the last uh, woman that I talked to um, was a homosexual. So if you would be so kind, uh, ma'am, as to get your girlfriend on the phone, then in the name of good sportsmanship, I will take your wheelchair. <laughs> I had no further problems transferring so, at Las Vegas. So let's – all right. So I, I will say I, I generally ask if – I'm, if I'm in an unfamiliar airport, I will ask for uh, you know, someone to uh, uh, walk with me, meet an assessor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I will and, never at any point – uh, say that there is a one size fits all model. Yeah, in fact, I think so I'll, I'll take the shoulder, and they do often send the wheelchair. Uh-huh. And then what I generally say is, I don't need the chair; I just need someone to walk with. But I've discovered that there are a decent number of folks who they just find it easier to put me in the chair. And I'm like, hey, if it's easier for you, I'll take a ride, you know. But honestly, I don't need it, and you know, I I want to you know save them. I mean, it's a it's a it's a pretty significant physical effort for them to push me, uh, and uh, so I want to save them the trouble. But sometimes they're worried about losing the chair. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Because they they're going to need to share for the next person, and then if they if they give it up, somebody one of the other people with their job will take it. Like there's you know there's always other parts of somebody's life that you don't even think about. You know, and, and like it wouldn't have even occurred to me that losing the chair would be an issue, but but I've discovered that it can be. So okay, fine. But tell me about you. So so the point is, you not only don't want the chair, you don't want somebody's shoulder to hold on to. 
Uh, no, not generally. I tend to, and I tried this actually in uh, freshman year of college. I was uh, living in Tennessee, dating a girl in Michigan, and mm-hmm. first time I'd, I'd made the flight, I was told, "Okay, the airlines have you know a way. You know, there is a procedure in place. Um, make use of the procedure." And what I had found uh, the first time I'd flown, there was about a thirty-minute wait for someone to show up. Yeah, that that can um, be frustrating. <laughs> with the wheelchair that I didn't need uh, and the added sort of um, downside of, you know, I had an hour for my flight. I couldn't get up to get a coffee because you know, I was supposed to stay there because that's right. what it said in their training manual. And I thought, gotcha. okay, once, once does not a pattern make, um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, maybe this is an off chance. So what I decided to do uh, was I had three more trips planned that I knew about. So I would take, uh, one more trip with the you know airport assistance following the protocol, and two trips without, mm-hmm. and factoring out everything else. How much time was I wasting each mm-hmm. time? And what I had found, and I found that this sort of bears out pretty much every time, was where I might potentially waste twenty minutes plus, not have the freedom to get a bite to eat if I had two and a half hours left for my flight. Um, with the airport assistance, I would maybe lose about five minutes asking for what started out being vague directions and became, you know, more and more detailed the more I zoomed into uh, to where I was going. So, you know, mm-hmm. eventually, you know, initially, gate C five is well, the gates are down that way, and then mm-hmm. well, C is is this way here, and then oh, C five is the fifth one on the left. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as the directions, and I found that uh, that was sort of the most efficient way for me to handle things like airports. And, and so, and so when, when you're getting around, and so, so you're at an airport you've not spent significant time in before, like Vegas, right? You didn't like live in Vegas or anything. Oh, uh, yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's, and, and you find that it's not too difficult to sort of, uh, Get the path down by comment. I mean, I, I find it sometimes challenging. Like you, you know, I, if if I can't see, then I can't see where the people are to ask for help, and uh, and also there's you know sort of various uh, obstacles. And and I mean, yeah, I can use the cane to you know not like injure myself badly walking into a, a chair or something like that. But it's still mm-hmm. kind of awkward and stuff. So any any tips? Um, some of that for me was just you know. Getting past that awkwardness takes time. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of coming to terms with, you know, yeah, the cane's going to hit a chair and it's going to make a noise or, or what have you. you sure. Know, that, uh, some of that is just getting past, you know, if you, if you look at that, your cane hitting a chair that you didn't see mm-hmm. is neither good nor bad, neither socially awkward nor, you know, socially... <laughs> yeah, I'm not too bothered by that anymore. But it's it's just more like I hit the chair, and then it's like, wait, do I go right or left? And I could find myself like wandering in a maze of chairs for a while. <laughs> um, for that, I just I I don't know. I just I usually end up finding my way out of them. You know, you've yeah. got a, a crowd of people that are going in in multiple directions, and I mean, I sometimes you know I will confess that you know in the occasional shopping mall, I have been known to quote unquote accidentally uh, thwack someone with my cane. 
mm-hmm. um, which would then get their attention. And it's like, oh, while I've while I've got you, where's, uh, <laughs> where's Radio Shack? <laughs> uh, sorry about the, and, and I don't know. Maybe that uh, maybe that makes me a mercenary. Mm-hmm. You'll find a lot of those on Wall Street, but um, <laughs> you know, and you know, now with the visual interpreting services, uh, you know, someone that has. I hesitate to say had all of the stereotypes trained out of them because that makes it sound like, I don't know, boot camp or something even more unpleasant. But, you know, I'm going to go with it. It has has had all the stereotypes trained out of them. Uh, Having someone there that could, you know, pull up a map of the Las Vegas area. Yeah, so let's let's talk about this. Visual interpreting services. Are we talking about IRA here or or what what are we we, Uh, we That's the one that I primarily use and that Mm -hmm. is because they have a, uh, they have a privacy policy. Mm -hmm. Uh, They have controls in place. Uh, Whereas Be My Eyes is, you know, people just sort of volunteering their time and i think you know volunteer services are great and everything yeah but if i'm going to trust someone with um say my credit card details yeah uh, because a lot of these newer credit cards they don't have embossed numbers and i can't always get something like seeing ai or envision ai to Mm -hmm. uh read all the card numbers most of the time i can but that's just because i've i've figured out over time um in case you know God forbid, era or era, Ira folds. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're a they're a startup. I've worked at startups. I've had to stop working at startups because the startup ran out of money. It can happen. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm always wanting that sort of backup option uh, that is not my wife. Um, which, again, I have opinions on that that were based a lot on sort of her past experience, and I actually would have. Full permission to go into that, but uh, I don't know. We'll save that one. Well, but, t- uh, t- tell me a little about the IRA experience because I haven't used it, but I've been sort of planning on signing up. And uh, I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who may not be familiar with sure. it at all, may not even know what you're talking about. So, uh, so um, essentially, it? what it is is uh, I liken it to OnStar for the blind, although it's got a number of other uses outside of that use case. Uh, you launch an app on your phone, hit a button, you're connected with someone that can see what your camera sees. Also, what they have access to, like if I were to ring them up from Vegas Airport again, they can pull up, based on my location, uh, um, a map of the Las Vegas Airport. Ira is extremely useful to help me finish that trip without having to ask someone on the street for help. So any other uh, tech you want to tell us about? Since it sounds like you're a pretty uh, teched up guy, and, and that's one of the things I like to accomplish here is to share good ideas for any any uh, any apps. You've you mentioned CNI, uh, GPS, and BlindSquare for getting around. Any other um, any other either apps or, or hardware that uh, you recommend? Uh, seeing AI and Envision for reading, I think it is totally worth the $4.99 a month because there are things that... Envision will read that seeing AI will not. So wait, so t- tell me about that. So, so when you say for reading, are these um, are these like scanners? I use them for like spot reading or like mm-hmm. on the fly document reading. Now, KNFB Reader, I also use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I maintain that that is some of the best hundred dollars that I ever spent. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a couple of trainings, for example, where they neglected to provide me the material in advance, but I was able to 
So please, you you pointed at it, you pointed at it, and it'll it'll read it or create a file that you can then read yeah. it with. And yeah. if I do that thirty times, it'll capture all thirty pages of the booklet that I'm. Yeah. I, I I keep forgetting that I'm I may be dealing with an audience here that has zero familiarity and all kinds of because usually I'm either dealing with someone that knows about or, you know, people that know about all this technology, and I'm just yeah I use X Y and Z, mm-hmm. and they know what they are. Or I'm dealing with someone that's you know quite happy with the thirty thousand foot view. I'll yeah I launch an app. And I point it at a thing, and I take a picture, and it reads it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I will be the first to confess that an audience that may have zero knowledge of this, but may want all of the gory details of you know, the six or seven different apps that I use. Uh, yeah, I just I just downloaded a Voice Dream scanner for for six bucks, uh, which which is a similar product and and is pretty great. And it's just I'm, I've been using Voice Dream Reader to um, uh, which is for you know reading books that I pull off Bookshare or, or PDF yep. documents or whatever. And uh, so then they uh, sent me an email. They're they're fantastic about not spamming me, but they did send me an email to let me know they had this new product. So I spent the six bucks, and it's pretty great. I've re- I'm really so far I've just used it for restaurant menus, but even for just that is is great. You know. Instead of having to ask people at a business meeting to read me the menu, I mean, people are very nice about it, but I prefer to be able to do it myself. And one hundred percent. I mean, if you if you know what you're doing and can get to the point where you can process like two or three different streams of audio at a time, uh, you can sort of continue your business conversation while you're reading the lunch menu, mm-hmm. just like all of just like everybody else can. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. A protocol in every company I've worked with is that the senior person pays the bill, mm-hmm. usually with a company-provided mm-hmm. card. But you know, if, if I, as an assistant vice president, am having lunch with a bunch of uh, business analysts, uh, and if it's, if it's business-related, I pay the right. bill. But if they see you know, one of the business analysts reading me the menu and one of the business analysts telling me what's on my plate, then one of the business analysts is going to get the bill. Um, which is going to be a problem if the AVP has to pay for it. So, you know, in a, in a business setting, uh, I like it because, you know, the less impression that I give that, uh, you know, I'm depending on my colleagues for things, the less chance that there's going to be of awkwardness when I then have to explain to the server that, no, they're not just, you know, taking me out for lunch because I'm blind and don't get out much. They actually report to me. I just played around with a uh, with a product. Um, it's an app that um, essentially you it's 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 not available for iOS yet, but will be soon apparently. And and what you do is you point it around the room, and it tells you what's there. So it tells you where there's an empty chair. It tells you where the door is. It tells you if there's a flight of stairs, and it tells you where there's a person. The app narrates the world around you by turning the visual world into an audible experience. Point your phone's camera, select a channel, and hear a description. Um, computer vision, like object identification, is a really tough nut to crack. Uh, but I'm impressed with, with the strides that have been made in uh, in computer vision. Question I sort of like to, to wrap up with. First of all, I'd like to ask people if they have any book recommendations, or you know, if uh, if uh, if you prefer any other form of media, if you have any any recommendations for other things you've enjoyed, uh, you know, podcast, uh, movie, and you name it. Um, book recommendations. I've got a few. Uh, Fantasy go-to is usually uh, David Eddings, the Belgariad and Lorian series. Huh. I like fantasy. Um, so, so David yeah. Eddings. Okay. Eddings, yep. All right. Uh, also Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, mm-hmm. if you've got uh, time. 
uh, because you'll need plenty of it because there are like 14 books in the series. Yes. I haven't read um, those yet, but I've been reading about them for a long time, so I feel like I should check them out. Yeah. They had somebody uh, finish the last few or something, right? Wasn't there Yeah, they did. Brandon Satter- Sanderson. Yeah, they had Brandon Sanderson, the, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, Robert Jordan <laughs> died before he finished uh, – finish the series, which is amazing to think about because he started writing them in 1990. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, he, he definitely put in some time on those. Let's see other, other books I've enjoyed. Um, for some reason, once I didn't have to read it for a college English class where I think the professor actually had some matchmaking ideas and wanted me to have a specific person, uh, help out with reading because she thought that we were both lonely. Uh, <laughs> the Great Gatsby I kind of enjoyed. Also The Wolf of Wall Street, which should maybe not surprise you as much. As I had the same anything. experience with The Great Gatsby. Somehow I missed it when I was young. I like uh, whatever. I, I sort of ducked the um, the the fancy honors English class where you read all, all the classics. Uh-huh. And so uh, instead I took, you know, other like specialized English classes, which were great, but, but I missed out on reading all these books because I was like, I read a ton when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I, I thought, Oh, that, you know, that's a, that's a school book. Exactly. That experience. And I, and I read it for the first time, like two years ago, I was like, this book is awesome. Yeah, you know? yeah, and then yeah. I sort of felt like an idiot, like, Oh yeah, I'm the first guy to notice that that book's really good. Well, see, it was more, um, it's actually, yeah. It's funny. I was reading. Um, I was reading a book about Hemingway, uh-huh. and it was sort of talking about how you know Hemingway and Fitzgerald were friends, but Hemingway was a lot more successful than Fitzgerald, and sort of lorded it over him, uh, or or so such as the judgment of history. I wasn't there, so I don't want to, you know, uh, uh, disparage anybody in this. But the sense, yeah, was that, you know, Fitzgerald's career didn't really take off the way that he expected it to. Hemingway's did, and Hemingway was really viewed as the sort of the god of literature for many mm-hmm. years, as well as being this, you know, uh, tough manly man and and all these other uh, things. And, you know, whereas, whereas uh, you know, Fitzgerald had drinking issues and so forth, which, frankly, Hemingway probably did too, but what do I know? Anyway... Point being uh, that, um, like, the thing, though, is that Fitzgerald has this one book that's way better than anything else that either of them ever wrote, again, in my humble opinion, but I think more and more in the judgment of society. And so in there. another hundred years, everybody's still going to be reading Fitzgerald, but I'm not sure people are going to have that much interest in, in Hemingway anymore. I read, I read, you know, The Sun Also Rises recently, and I was like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It, didn't, it didn't hit me like Gatsby did. So, all right. So my final question for you is, as I always say to people, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not an experienced interviewer and I'm sure I'm not a very good interviewer. And therefore I probably have not been clever enough to ask you the questions that would elicit the very best and most interesting stories or pieces of information or what have you from you. Uh, so now I give you free opportunity to tell our audience and me, um, anything you like that you think might make us smile, make us laugh, make us think, uh, whatever, whatever you find Um, appropriate. I think probably. I mean, we've we've touched on a few instances, but I think you know, if I were to be you know, giving advice to somebody you know, newly setting out on, uh, you know, they're a blind child making it into adulthood, or someone just you know newly blind and not sure what's possible. Um, I think, and this is uh, this is where my QA engineer experience overlaps and, and sort of what I was getting at with the thing at the airport uh, in uh, Michigan where I you know, tried two or three times the sort of recommended way and two or three times coming up with my own system. Um, there's no, and, and this is 
one thing that I think a, a mutual friend of ours will tell you, there's no real right way to do blind. You know, you will need to find what works for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if what works for you is, you know, assistance through the airport and what works for me is sort of zooming into my gate, there is no sort of right or wrong way to do that. Uh, even if someone tells mm-hmm. you, hey, you know, and, and, you know, I've gotten this when I've tried to, quote unquote, overstep my bounds or what have you, you know, they'll tell you, well, I... I've worked with 50 different blind people. I know how blindness works. No, you don't, because there are a lot more than 50 of us. You can't learn uh, you know, any demographic from any kind of small sample size like that. Someone were to you know, give me a choice between, you know, do you want your site or do you want a 35% bonus instead of the you know, 10% you might normally be getting? I'm going to take the 35% bonus because I wouldn't know how to use it. Well, you know, if I got my site right now, and again, you know, no, no one right answer trademark here, but this is sort of my thought on that. Uh, my visual cortex is not processed sight. Uh, scientific uh, research, you know, what very few anecdata we have on the subject seem to indicate that you know you don't you know you can have twenty twenty vision, but if your your cortex hasn't learned to process it, you're still going to function primarily as a blind person. Um, so again, you know, for me, the gains would not outweigh the losses and people, well, wouldn't it just, wouldn't it be you know, nice to see a sunset or wouldn't it be nice to know, uh, what your, your wife and son look like and, uh, everyone keep their comments to themselves about, you know, do you really want to know, you know, what your wife looks like first thing in the morning? This is neither the time nor the place for that, <laughs> but you know, maybe, mm. but I don't miss it. I do miss an extra $45,000. <laughs> You know, there are some specific things I would like to be able to do. I would like to be able to uh, play video games. I would like to be able to drive. It would be nice mm-hmm. to be able to fly a plane. Uh, I don't care yeah. if these happen because of technology or because of uh, you know gained eyesight. And I don't necessarily, I'm not so attached to the notion of, of getting eyesight if the number of things that I would be able to do were not going to dramatic dramatically increase. And part of that is because oh go ahead. I was just gonna say it's very interesting because you sometimes hear people um uh, who don't have their hearing say that they wouldn't want to get their hearing back because they're part of the deaf community, and sometimes people even make an analogy to uh, to a change of you know race or gender or whatever, and they say, yeah, you know, if I were of a race that's you know a, a, a minority group that that tends to uh, not get equal treatment by society, I still wouldn't want to like change and you know be be in the majority group, uh, and and they feel that way about uh, about about being deaf, and um, and I think that's an interesting perspective, and obviously the fact that deaf people, you know, uh, have their own mode of communication that's different, um, you know, is a is a reason that they might feel that they're sort of left out of that if if they regain their hearing and so forth. So you definitely hear people make those uh, statements, but um, but you don't hear it so much uh, from people who are blind. Um, partly, of course, because it's not it's not exactly a community in the same way. Not that there's no community of blind people, but you don't again have right. the same communication uh, issue. And obviously, you're not going so far as say, oh, I wouldn't want to back, but you're just saying it's not, you know, not something that you, uh, uh, you know, give any thought to or really care about. And, and that is, uh, that is interesting. I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear you say, yeah, I'd rather have another, another, uh, uh, chunk of bonus. And that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, part of this too, I will freely admit that part of my, uh, part of my perspective on this comes from the fact that, you know, 
the reason I can't see is because my optic nerve didn't develop. So, you know, whatever you do to go in, it's going to require going into the brain. Yeah. So then it becomes, what is the potential loss? Yeah, but that's because you're assuming that it comes from some medical technology rather than the Q device from Star Trek The Next Generation, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I suppose there's that. You know, we, well, and it was just a 20-second clip, so we never actually got to see... And I mean, it's Hollywood. It's Hollywood. You know, our, I've always been our, confused. Isn't the point that Jordy can see using that band across his eyes? Yeah, Isn't I, that the it's, point of it? It's like, yeah, like that relays a bunch of. So really, it would just change the modality <laughs> of the data that that are being sent. Exactly, to his that's what I'm cortex. saying. So, what is sight anyway? Right? You always read about these things where people are quote unquote seeing with their tongue and stuff like that. I'm going to do an episode with the seeing with your tongue people and have them explain it to us. We should wrap this up. I, I uh, as I said to other guests, like I, you know, I think because I listen to all my podcasts at double speed, I think you know ninety minutes, two hours, all perfectly reasonable lengths for a podcast because, you know, it's only going to take 45, 50 minutes to buzz through it. Um, But it turns out that not everybody listens that fast. And so since we are, in fact, uh, around the 90 minute mark, we should probably uh, cut it off for for the sake of our our hypothetical listeners. But I want to thank you, Chris Meredith, for coming on the podcast. This is a a fantastically enjoyable uh, conversation. And uh, thanks so much. No problem. Thank you. You're listening to the Dangerous Vision Podcast, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired.